Well, good morning, and once again, welcome to uh, any visitors we may have uh, here in person or online, and of course, to our regular congregation. When I have a chance to uh, preach, which probably averages about every two months, I always like to start with a little story. So I'm going to tell you a little story. Before I do that, a quick little ad. We have four Sunday school classes that meet here at 845 in the morning in S1, S2, S3, and S4. I am in S4 over here, and I am teaching on the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, which is the foundation of our faith. Now, I've been covering the creation of the world, and I'm going to tell you a little story here that's not found in the text of Genesis 1 or 2, so bear with me. When God created the world, he placed a lever in the world that if it was ever pulled, the whole world would blow up. He placed the lever in the area of what is now downtown D.C. And he assigned an angel whose name is Nathaniel, and from here on we're going to refer to him as Nate, that's a good nickname, Nate, to guard that lever with his life. And uh, Nate disguised the lever, put a trash can over it. God also instructed Nate to never tell anybody what his mission was or where the lever was. Uh, Because he knows that men are very curious, and if they saw it, they would, you know, probably pull it. So anyway, for 6,000 years of human history, as the earth changed and as people moved into D.C. and the city was built, Nate did his job, he had it disguised, and he didn't tell a soul. Well, after 6,000 years, he, he just had to tell somebody. So he befriended a cabbie one day. And he took the cabbie to the trash can, opened up the lid, showed him the lever. He said, nobody can ever pull or move this lever. The world will blow up. And you can never say that you know me. Swore him to secrecy. Well, one day, the cabbie was in a rush to pick up somebody. And he was heading in that general direction when suddenly the brakes on his car failed. And he was heading straight toward the trash can with the lever. And Nate was next to it. So first he looked at the trash can. Then at Nate, boom, 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 boom. He hit Nate and saved the world. The moral of the story is better Nate than lever. Well, now, now that we've had a little fun and I have your attention, um, what I like to do is we are on part four today of The Woman at the Well, and I want to read to you the scripture that our other three elders have discussed the last three weeks, and we're going to start in John chapter four. I'm going to read the first 26 verses. It's not going to be on a screen. I have it in my script here. And then we will uh, begin a sermon at verse 27. But this is the review for those of you who haven't been here or if you're visiting. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he parted again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so around noon, and he had traveled. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we're going to pick up now, um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a review Jesus, of course, he broke the tradition of visiting a person from a different place when there was ethnic, racial, uh, religious strife between the Jews and Samaritans. And he broke this tradition by going and visiting her. Uh, Elder Dennis introduced us to the lesson three weeks ago. Uh, Elder James, when he was talking about this, talked about uh, the compassion that Jesus had when he went to visit this, this foreigner. And then uh, Arthur, uh, Elder Arthur Shepherd last week talked about the yearning that the woman had at the well because of the emptiness in her life, going through all these marriages and relationships and everything else. And he talked about that we all have a need for Christ. So we have Jesus breaking the tradition then we have Jesus offering uh, the, wo the woman living water. And if you read um, Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, this is the last chapter in the Bible, it talks about the spring of water that flows down from the throne of God into the streets of heaven where the trees uh, are there that we can eat from. And this is the living water that uh, Jesus was referring to when he talked to the Samaritan woman. And then, of course, in verse 26, he makes the bold declaration that he is the Messiah. So we're going to pick up 
in verses 27 to 30, and you can follow along on the screen or in your uh, scriptures. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was speaking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So when Jesus' disciples finished running their errands and picking up the food, once again, they were amazed that Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan woman. Generally, a man would not speak to a strange woman. And of course, we mentioned the issues with the Samaritans. But if you ever study the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't care about the religious traditions of men. Because the problem is, when those religious traditions were developed over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history, they moved further away from the Old Testament scriptures, and they established traditions that they thought were right. And Jesus fought against that when he came and spoke with the religious leaders. Uh, He cared for the souls of people. We're going to talk about the souls of people quite a bit. All of us have a physical body. And then all of us have a spirit or soul that is inside of us. And that spirit or soul is going to live forever when we die. And we're either going to live in paradise with Christ or we're going to suffer in hell because we rejected Christ. So Jesus cared for the souls of people and he wanted to bring people to him. Jesus also demonstrated the two greatest commandments that he talked about and that we seek as a church to follow today. To love God, the first commandment, to love God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. If we all did this, the impact would be absolutely amazing. So we go to the next section. And I'll read that. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So one of the things that uh, Jesus did is he changed a physical nourishment lesson. We all need food. And he he turned it into a spiritual lesson. So whenever food was referenced in the scripture, a lot of times Jesus moved it back and he talked about uh, a spiritual nourishment. Um, I want to go back just for a second and touch on something. Um, Jesus declared to the woman that she had five husbands and the one that she was with was not her husband. He knew all this, although they never met. Jesus also did this another time. He, when he was calling Nathaniel, one of his disciples, to come to him, we find this little story in John chapter 1, verses 47 to 49. Here's what it says. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, 
Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Philip was calling Nathanael to come to Christ. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So it's interesting that Jesus approached the Samaritan woman being God. He knew all about her before they ever met. He knew all about Nathanael before they ever met. He's an all-knowing God. It's interesting that as I was putting these sermon notes together, uh, actually last Sunday, I had most of the sermon done, uh, my wife and I put on season two of The Chosen. In episode two, we watched that, and what did they show? They showed Jesus calling Nathaniel, and the very scriptures that I just read, they acted out. It's very powerful. Uh, I'm not going to say that everything about Chosen is perfect, but if you ever watch that show, and there's several seasons of it now, I think the actor that depicts Jesus really shows that he is both God and man, and I would uh, encourage you to do that. All right, we're going to move to the, uh, go up to the next set of scriptures here. The point here, Jesus turns the mention of physical nourishment into a spiritual lesson. He compares eating with doing the will of his Father. The next section of scripture says this, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus gave us the command to harvest souls and he did so by issuing the great, the great commandment or the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. He did this in Matthew chapter 28. He did it in Acts 1. If you look up here, it says to live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. And when we're helping others to do the same, we're trying to do it both in this area, in a 20-mile radius around Grace Church, and we're also seeking to do it around the world. Over the past three weeks, we as a church, have tried to be obedient to this, and we have gone out and we have hung these little invites on doorknobs in houses, apartments, and condos. We were at the Charles County Fair last weekend handing out flyers for today's service. Uh, all of the volunteers who helped, and I went out with the team, there were 11 of us yesterday that went out in that, that mist in the wind, and we, we were doing this. Um, we handed these invitations to try to bring you out or try to get you to watch the service online. Perhaps you're here today or watching online because somebody gave you an invite. Our desire is for you to hear the gospel message, and if you're not a believer, to develop a relationship with Christ. Uh, we've been praying during this past month that you guys would come out to learn about our Savior and to learn about the ministries of our church. For those of us in here who are Christians, we encourage you to help fulfill the Great Commission by being a witness to others and to help harvest souls for Christ. Perhaps you have the gift of evangelism and you're able to verbally share the gospel. You're not nervous. You don't twist your words. You're very clear. You have that gift. Well, use that gift of evangelism. 
If you want to learn that gift, we have a Sunday school class at 8.45 in the morning that teaches how to do that. Maybe you're not comfortable or well-versed in speaking. Well, you can hand out tracts. You can hand out Bibles like the Gideons do. They put them in the hotel rooms. Uh, I've shared before up here that I give out Bibles every year. When I do so, I try to write a short little message in the Bible, and I also include a list of some of the most important scriptures there are so that people can look them up and research them on their own. Perchance, you're better at writing your thoughts down so you can share the gospel in the form of a letter or a testimonial. Many years ago, my wife and I used to send out dozens and dozens of Christmas cards. I mean, we kept post office in business by sending out that many cards. And what I would do is I would write a family newsletter so that our friends and family could know about the kids growing up and what was going on. But the very last paragraph of every family newsletter I did had a little invitation for the gospel, especially since these were going out in Christmas cards when we were celebrating the birth of Christ. You may not be bold enough to do any of those things. You may need to develop some of that boldness, but there are other things that you can do. You can support different charities that are Christ-based. Now, I support three veterans' charities. I'm not a veteran. Sometimes when I go into a store to get something, they get veterans' discounts. They look at me. I keep my hair pretty short and trim. Are you a veteran, sir? No, I'm not a veteran. But I appreciate the men and women who have served for our country and what they've done. So when I... um, write out a contribution check, sometimes they send little note cards for us to write a message or just, or just actually most of the note cards are just sign your name to it. I don't like that. So what I do is I put a thank you to the veterans and then I include some scripture verses hoping that they'll get a Bible and they'll look up John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So I'll include John 3, 16 and 17. Uh, 1 John 5, 11 and 13, it talks about if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. So I include those. Um, my wife and I also support the American Bible Society because what they simply do is they get the printed word and they go around the country and they go around the world and they give out the Bible. We take the Bible for granted. I have probably a half dozen copies at home. But there are people in the world that yearn just to have one copy of the Scripture. So anyway, there are a lot of different things that you can do to serve and to give and to get the gospel message out, and I encourage you to do this. One of the things that Jesus talked about in the parable of seeds, he talked about the sower going along the path and sowing seeds into different types of soil. In Matthew 13, 23, he said that good seeds can produce a crop 30 to 60 to 100 times that of which was sown. So a personal goal of mine as a Christian, as an elder in this church, as one who seeks to follow and serve Christ, is that through all these different methods that I mentioned, some of those that I use myself, that I can hopefully lead or guide anywhere from 30 to 100 people to salvation in Jesus Christ during my lifetime. Think about this. We have a couple hundred people in here right now. If we could all reach out and lead 30 to 100 people to Christ in our lifetime, think of what that impact would be across this country and across the world. It would be unbelievable. So there are a lot of different methods. We have Jesus sending out his souls, and we're on a mission to bring people with the good news of Christ in this area and around the world. And there are many methods that one can share 
to do so. <clears throat> Perhaps you're sitting in here today and you're a believer, but you've been struggling with your faith a little bit. You've backslidden, you're having problems in relationship with Christ, or maybe you're struggling with all the different stresses of life, or maybe you're not a believer and you're trying to figure this out. Uh, I'm going to get up and do a short song. It's called uh, Surrender Your Soul. I wrote this song 19 years ago. I used to do um, some retreats with the seniors over at Grace and Clinton. Uh, we did regular retreats, mission retreats, uh, chapel services. I helped with a group of young adults. So I've done this song before some young people. I've never done it to a congregate or with a congregation of adults. So this will be a first for me today. But I want you to listen to the words. You can read them on the screen and you can listen to them. And then I'll do a little wrap up. Savior who died for you, he'll be there right by your side to see you through, to see you through. Consider the price he paid on the cross to give you life anew. Eternal life and abundant life is his gift for you, his gift for you. So why don't you surrender your soul to the Savior who died for you? He'll be there right by your side to see you through see you through, to see you through, to see you through.
I hope that the uh, lyrics that you uh, listen to will encourage you to develop a relationship with Christ or to strengthen your relationship with Christ. If you're pretty sure that there's a God and you haven't established a personal relationship with him, there's a promise from Scripture. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you've fallen away or backslidden, come back to Christ. Get back in the habit of praying to him and reading his word. If you're searching for Christ and you don't know him, earnestly seek him. And if you do this, you will find him as your personal savior. I'm going to wrap up today's message with the last passage from uh, the woman at the well. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we indeed know that this is the Savior of the world. It's kind of neat that when Jesus saw the need to have people come to know him as Savior, he stayed for an additional couple days. He didn't just take the drink from the water from the well and then leave the woman. He stayed and he preached. And because they heard his words, they were even more convinced. At the conclusion of today's service, and every Sunday here at Grace, we invite our elders and prayer team to come up. And just this is an open invitation for weeks to come. If you want to learn about establishing a relationship with Christ, come on up at the end of service. Dennis will do an invite at the end. Or if you just need prayer, come on up and we're there for you. You've now met the woman at the well. We've spent four weeks speaking about her. And she had a changed life because she met Jesus. I would now like to invite up one of our church members, John, to share how Jesus changed his life and how he is working in our midst today. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks, George. Check my on. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm John DePompa. Thank you, George, by the way. Um, yeah, it's really a pleasure to be up here in front of you all. Um, so I wanted to share with you guys a uh, testimony about uh, what the Lord's been doing in my life over this past summer. Um, before I do that, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and kind of set it up. I'm not going to get too specific or deep, but I uh, came to know the Lord um, at the age of uh, 13. Um, through the work, I mean, I, was, I can look back at my life and see that God has planted people around me that uh, sowed seeds. Um, but um, through the work of you know, Bill Holt, uh, Pastor Thornley, uh, Pastor Gill, I uh, came to know the Lord here in this place. I was baptized here in this place. Um, this place means a lot to me, right? Like uh, if you know, Pastor Thornley and Cindy hadn't followed God's plan for their life, like, I wouldn't know my wife. My kids wouldn't exist. So this whole place means the world to me. Um, so setting that up, I married, um, you know, uh, went to school here, met my wife, got married. Um, you know, life was going pretty smooth, pretty well. Um, uh, we were serving here at the church, uh, attending regularly, you know, following the Lord. Um, and then looking back, um, 2013 uh, was kind of the, one of the bigger trials faced in our life. Uh, you guys know my mother-in-law, many of you, uh, Debbie Schoenbauer. Um, really big fixture in my life uh, from the age of 15. Um, you know, uh, it's my wife's best friend, right? It's her mom. It's uh, the grandmother to my children. It's uh, my boss. I worked for her. She, I, we collaborated together. Um, really 
I just trying to express how uh, how big she was to me and my family and my life. Um, well, she was diagnosed with uh, an incurable form of brain cancer. Um, fought really hard. She passed away. It was it was horrific, right? It was one of the worst uh, things I've ever witnessed. Um, so I didn't even realize at the time the effect it had on me. And but until this summer, kind of reading through the word, looking back, I, I didn't realize it. But I, uh, you know, I went through a season of anger and. Um, and believe me, I know everybody here has been through difficult seasons. Um, tragedy is no excuse for complacency. Um, but if I'm being like real with you guys, after Debbie passed, I was angry. Um, and like I said, if I'm being real, real, like I didn't even know that I was angry until recently. Like I did, it was a it was a weird thing. So between that and the chaos of raising a young family, um, I uh, I kind of drifted into a season of complacency. Maybe a season of just going through the motions. Um, mind you, I, I was, I knew I was saved. I had a saving relationship with the Lord. Um, he forgave me for my sins. I trusted in Christ for my salvation. Uh, and my family and I were attending church. We were serving in church. Um, you know, I would read God's word. Um, but if I'm being honest, it wasn't consistent or maybe it was irregular. Um, and looking back, like, you know, my heart had sort of grown cold maybe. Um, and I really wasn't doing anything to change this, right? I was just kind of going through life. Well, um, at the beginning of this year, uh, my wife, Lindsay, was invited uh, to join a uh, Bible study group of a group of women. Uh, it was a very intentional study, like a weekly meeting um, with accountability towards Bible study and scripture memory. Um, and Lindsay had to be really intentional about this, right? Like she rearranged her work schedule to make it work, uh, you know, juggling all those things. So um, it was a really intentional effort she made. And um, she was faithful. She began to attend and study and share with the women uh, there. And um, I began to see a really obvious work in her life. Um, and you know, I, I, many of you know my wife, Lindsay, like she's a good egg, right? She's uh, uh, as good as they come. And for me to see like drastic changes is saying something, right? Um, so she was growing by leaps and bounds. Um, she was like releasing, letting go of idols. Uh, she was reclaiming joy in areas of her life that she'd struggled with. Um, she was finding peace in a lot of areas that she had struggled with for a long time. Um, so I was so proud of her and, uh, and quite frankly, I was a little envious, right? I was, I found myself uh, kind of wanting that. So I kind of felt the stirring in me, um, but I didn't still, again, didn't do anything about it, just sort of, you know, compartmentalized it or just dealt with it. Um, but then out of the blue, one Sunday back in May, um, I was here early playing in the band and um, in between our production meeting and before we go on, we have like a half hour to kill. And I noticed right there in that seat right there, uh, there was a couple printed out um, Bible reading plans that my dear friend Cordy had printed out and uh, she was, ever vigilant. She was recruiting people to join with her. Um, so I grabbed one, looked at it. I was intrigued. It definitely was interested. Um, but then I realized it was reading through the entire Bible in 90 days. And um, I, was, I was intrigued, but I was pretty overwhelmed. Like, That's pretty intense, right? 90 days, is, is, it's a lot to digest. So thought about it for a day or two, um, prayed about it, uh, talked to Lindsay about it. Wasn't sure. Um, began to get texts from people in the group. Um, I'm sure Courtney put them up to it. Uh, some gentle peer pressure. Um, and uh, so I decided to dive in. I just said, you know what, let's give it a shot. If, I, if it fails, you know, it's on me. But, um, but I know myself, like I know that I enjoy being challenged and I enjoy, um, I'm motivated by like accountability. Um, that, that helps me. So joining with this group of friends, uh, we dove in, right? We, 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 uh, we, we started reading the Bible in 90 days. Um, uh, thankfully, there was no Androids in the group. So Courtney was able to start a group text and like name it and jazz it up. So it made it easy. Uh, we, you know, we, we were journeyed together. There was maybe a dozen or so of us. Uh, we were able to share insight. We asked questions of each other. We like lightly held each other accountable. Um, we journeyed through this whole 
Bible together. It was 90 days. It was June, July, and August. And it was very intense. And it was daunting at first. Um, it was like an hour a day, right? Um, but you got into the rhythm. Uh, you know, you got, we kind of got into a rhythm together. We found a lot of joy in learning together. And the process of intentionally reading God's word for an hour or so each day, it kind of became a habit. And then that, that kind of excited me that it, it became easier to do as we went. So the discipline of reading the Bible became such a blessing to me. And uh, God did a few things through it. <clears throat> One of which, and the most likely, the most obvious, like it increased my knowledge of God and his word, right? Um, reading through the whole thing in such a short period of time, like you're not diving deep. You're not able to like study it with any kind of nuance, but you are getting this over view, this whole narrative, this overreaching view of God's story and God's word and God's people. Um, and, you know, just like time and time again through the Bible, um, you see that God just relentlessly pursues his creation, like us, his people, right? He just doesn't stop. Um, even when we uh, don't want him to, or even when we don't even know it, like I said, looking back, there's a lot of things along the way of my life that seeing this in the Bible and then re- re- replying it to my life, I didn't even realize the things God had done to sort of pursue me. Um, secondly, as God began revealing himself to me, I uh, started to notice like, you know, an excitement towards the things of God, um, an excitement in my soul, giving me like kind of joy and passion. Um, like I said, really, um, it's amazing how quickly that it became a habit and that I could really look forward to doing it every day, right? So I firmly believe that we cannot immerse ourselves in the word of God and not meet directly with the person of God. I remember at one point early on, um, God kind of, as I was reading through this, I, God kind of convicted me. I, I felt a little bit embarrassed or ashamed of uh, how I, you know, neglected my relationship with him, quite bluntly. Um, maybe, like I said, complacency had set in. Um, yeah, I felt some sadness and some guilt and some grief. Um, I mean, honestly, too, as I look through the, the Bible, I mean, we're so blessed today. Like, it's, it's so easy to, to, to read God's word. It's so easy to find God's word. Like, I, th- I felt guilty almost thinking about people in third world countries or even all through history who didn't have access to the God's word. And I had it and I sort of, um, you know, wasn't using it. So I take it for granted what God had done for me and the access that I had, but um, he allowed me to repent and I felt um, refreshed and was able to kind of walk forward with that and receiving forgiveness from God, a gracious God, it will do that to you, right? It'll, it'll give you some uh, refreshment or a vibrancy in you. Um, so the last thing that I really, that God really did through, for me this summer through this was, um, Helped me kind of overcome a sense maybe of unworthiness that I've struggled with at times. Um, didn't even realize that I was. Um, like, I know that I sin. I know how short I fall. And I often felt like God's not going to use me in any sort of meaningful way. Like, I can uh, serve in the church, but maybe not in a super meaningful way. Even on stage with the band or as I, um, I help Stacy every Sunday with GSM. Um, before this, I would feel like almost in the back of my mind, like a sense of unworthiness. Um, and honestly, quite if I'm being like blind, like this week preparing for this, I felt, um, you know, like, what are you going to tell these people, right? Like, uh, what, what can God use you for? Um, but over and over again through the scriptures, right, you see that God uses the weak and the unlikely of humanity. Um, and like every single person along the way that God used to tell the stories of his redemption, they weren't, none of them were ready or worthy or, um, yeah, and God was able to use them. I'm grateful for that lesson. It's still something that's manifesting itself in my life. It's not you know, obviously we're never a finished product in terms of sanctification, but uh, it's definitely something that's taken root um, and that's been freeing for me, to be honest with you. Um, so the end of the 90 days arrived uh, in August. It was bittersweet over those three months. Um, God was really kind to work in my heart, um, bringing me to life again, life in him. Um, I would encourage any of you today that maybe feel overwhelmed or daunted by the uh, idea of committing to a Bible reading plan, something like this, um, just do it. Like, you won't be disappointed you might fail, you might miss some days, you might start and stop over the course of months, but just really commit to try to effort to do it. Um, 
Now, it does get hard at times. Like we did it in three months and two of those months where you're just in the Old Testament. Like you're, and, and if you did it in a year, like eight months, right? You're in the Old Testament. And that can feel overwhelming at times. It could be tough, but um, I, I did find a sense of gratitude. Um, like I, I thought about like, the, I was kind of exhausted with the Old Testament after a little while, but I think about these Old Testament saints who lived centuries, kind of like yearning for the Lord, yearning for the Messiah. So I found a new, found appreciation for, you know, being born after the Messiah came and he died for our sins and he rose again. You know, we have access to God the Father, the veil's torn, right? So um, that, I just felt a sense of gratefulness for that. Now, um, I know that God was seeking me this summer um, when he led me to this breeding plan and he hasn't stopped yet. Um, it, after we finished in September, I began again uh, a year-long reading plan, a um, little more deep dive, a little more um, taking some more um, you know, you can study it a little deeper, right? You can dig in. Um, it, and, and when you do it in three months and then you start doing it over the course of a year, it feels like a breeze, to be honest with you. It's really easy. Um, anyway, I've begun to lead a little bit more intentionally at home with my girls, um, uh, lead them through God's word as, as much as we can, a weekly basis or so. Um, really been trying to do that more intentionally. Um, so as I mentioned, I just want to close with this. The overarching narrative of the Bible is just how relentlessly God is seeking his people. So if you're here today in this place, please know that God is seeking you too. Um, if you've never accepted a free gift of salvation, uh, rectify that today. Um, you know, talk to somebody. Let's do the ASAP. Um, and if, for those of you there who may be related to my story of complacency, um, know that God's seeking you too. He's already, you know, even at the salvation's the beginning point, right? Like it's a, it's a lifelong journey after that. Um, he wants you to repent, give him more of your heart. And wherever you find your heart this morning, I would encourage you to interact with God uh, through his word and you'll find him. Um, he's chasing after you because he loves you and he desires to be in a relationship with you. Um, he wants you to come home and uh, because of his grace, you can.